Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Seeing beyond the mask is what's coming up for me. Um, as it, you know, if you've been here uh, in recent times, I just uh, recently finished sitting a retreat at Spirit Rock. It was a wonderful 18-day retreat. It's great to be a yogi uh, on that side of the uh, of the room. Um, and as Spirit Rock uh, is so safe these days for COVID, I want you to know, by the way, in case you're wondering, how are they doing that? They you have to have a vaccine uh, to go there and then they take COVID tests. They took one in the, the beginning and one in the middle and, uh, and we wear masks in, in the hall um, and in closed spaces, um, except for the, the dining room uh, once you start eating, of course. Um, and on uh, this one meal, you know, it, being in the dining room during a retreat is the most social experience. There you are with people around you, not saying a word. Um, and uh, the mind in Buddhism, the, the third skanda is called, or kanda is called perception, where you see something, you recognize it. Oh, that's a, woman or a man or maybe a non-binary uh, person if you if you know that's how they're they're going uh, or that's a that's salad that's a bell or whatever it is uh, and once you have perception what generally follows are mental formations from that perception it's just the way we're wired up that you see something and not only do you recognize what it is, but generally there's a thought about what you're seeing, unless you're distracted onto something else or you're lost in your, your thought. So um, I was sitting across from somebody who was a kind of stereotype for me. I was watching my mind do this. Um, this fellow had a crew cut, was kind of um, uh, in good shape. Um, and in my mind imagined that he was from the Midwest. Um, and he could have been, my mind went to, oh, now that's somebody I, I could, of, of all the people on the retreat, I could imagine this person looks like somebody who could be at the, who could have been at the January 6th Capitol event, right? This is all in silence. It's very humbling to see your mind go there. Oh yeah, that's, gee, that, that guy could be one of those. Not that I thought he was because he was sitting here on a meditation retreat, but it's just, that's what the mind did. 
And so I was kind of watching my mind and uh, doing, oh, yeah, he probably had, if it was somebody like that, might have different political views from mine. He might have a different feeling about what's going on in our country, or, but he had to have a vaccination. So that that was was clear. That kind of dispelled that one. Anyway, I was just watching my mind do its thing, which is a, an interesting and humbling thing to do. At the end of the meal, when he finishes his meal, he finishes and he puts his hand together and he bows so revel reverentially. It was really moving. He just, thank you for this meal. It was great because there it was just completely blowing my fantasy. This guy clearly was not the Capitol on January 6th. But it, it just made me so, um, my heart melted when I saw, you know, sometimes when people can can do something with such presence and reverence that there's a transmission. I, I actually got a transmission of his gratitude and his presence and his his kindness and his goodness. And it made me reflect on the conditioning and the assumptions that we have and the stories that we tell ourselves about whoever is in our field and whatever is happening from perception to mental formation, it's hard to turn that off. And uh, made me think of a passage from the Buddha, uh, one of my favorite suttas, it's called the Paramatika Sutta. Uh, the Sutta, the Discourse on Views, and I printed out Thich Nhat Hanh's translation, which is um, much more poetic than, um, than some of the other translations. And I'll, I'll read just from this Sutta, and then we'll get to the rest of the talk. He says, one who still abides by a dogmatic view considering it as the highest in the world, thinking this is the most excellent and disparaging other views as inferior is still considered not to be free from disputes when seeing, hearing, or sensing something and considering it as the only thing that can bring comfort and advantage to self, one is always inclined to get caught in it and rule out everything else is inferior. Caught in one's view and considering all other views as inferior, this attitude is considered by the wise as bondage, as the absence of freedom. A good practitioner is never too quick to believe what is seen, heard, and sensed including rules and rights, that is, to believe one's thoughts about what one sees, hears, and senses. A good practitioner has no 
need to set up a new theory for the world using the knowledge he's picked up, he or she has picked up, in the rules and rights they are practicing. They do not consider themselves as superior, inferior, or equal to anyone. A good practitioner abandons this, the notion of self and the tendency to cling to views. They are free and do not depend on anything, even on knowledge. They do not take sides in controversies and do not hold on to any view or dogma. They do not seek for anything or cling to anything, either this extreme or the other extreme, either in this world or the other world. They have abandoned all views and no longer have the need to seek comfort or refuge in any theory or ideology. <clears throat> so this is the Paramataka Sutta. Now, I want to qualify that by saying, of course we have views and opinions. And it's important to have, this is just me talking now, it's important to have mm, observations on what feels wholesome, what feels right, what feels in harmony, uh, what feels harmful, what feels uh, dangerous, and to act on those views and opinions. I think this world needs courage and fierce compassion from us and um, not playing small. So it's not in a realistic way, not to not have any views or just say, oh yes, it's all the same, but to see that we are carrying around our views and assumptions, and they often are what create a sense of me on the good side and them on the bad side. Mm. A quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn that I, I love if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? We all have it inside of us. We have those views and opinions like I had sitting across the table from that fellow and putting others uh, who are not in our comfort zone uh, in, a, in a separate package that is to to be wary of and when we do this we lose connection with our capacity to understand and have compassion and love and to act wisely and to act effectively to make a difference in the world 
And these days, particularly, there are so many assumptions and reactions that we can carry. We're all going around a little bit on edge with uncertainty. I talked about this last week uh, with um, anticipatory grief or uh, prolonged uncertainty. And it's so quick to get into views and create this sense of separation. Martin Luther King has a line that I've uh, used many times. Wait a second. Uh, Just going to put everyone on mute here. Um, That uh, he says, you have no moral authority over anyone who can feel your underlying contempt. You have no moral authority over anyone who can feel your underlying contempt. And I've been humbled, not just in that little vignette on the retreat, but in the last few weeks, there have been a a few encounters with people who I care about and have respect for who have had a different perspective and take on uh, dealing with uh, this virus, who have chosen to um, not be vaccinated. And um, they're good people. And there might be people on this call, and and I I want to be very transparent about how humbling this has been. And I'm learning to try to try to respect, do what I can to respect all views. One person who I have supported for some time, uh, and who I know um, values my opinion when I heard that they were not getting vaccinated, um, it was really hard for me. This was the first of these three different encounters with people that I care about. Um, And I had just been with somebody, another friend who I support, and uh, spoke to uh, this person right after she had found out that her cousin who refused the vaccination uh, lives in Texas uh, had just died of COVID. And we uh, just by the meeting that we had came just a few minutes after, and she was really um, shaking from that and feeling so much sadness. And I was kind of helping her, hold the the pain. And I think I was still carrying that and just the frustration of people who um, don't see things the way I see it as far as, uh, well, this is not just about about that person's view. This, in my mind, had affected us all. And so when I heard my friend who um, said that they weren't 
getting vaccinated um, and seemed to have some, I thought, some misinformation, I, I got really upset. And I, uh, it was, this is in an email and I wrote to her and I, I did something I rarely do, which is give my opinion on, um, on something, uh, saying, um, saying I'm, I'm really upset. And, um, afterwards I realized, um, that it landed in a difficult place and I apologized and, and she wrote back and said, that was really hard. And I've apologized again. And, but to try to balance this, especially in these days where the, it affects us all. um, This is what, has made me want to reflect on this. And it's not like I have any answers. I'm just sharing with you my own conundrum, especially when something affects us all. And then after that first encounter, there were two other encounters where I started seeing, okay, there's some people here who I have great love for and respect for who just think differently than I do. And I realized that uh, my practice had to go one level deeper. And even though it was frustrating and upsetting, uh, I couldn't, I didn't want to put them out of my heart, that's for sure. And I wanted to understand, understand my own upset and understand their perspective and not put them into a bad person category, but just expand it a little bit bigger, a little bit wider, and made me reflect on all the people who are, um, who share views that are different from mine and it's been humbling. And I want to just offer some thoughts, particularly around people, not just the good people who have different views, but the people who have um, a lot of anger in their heart over being told to wear a mask or being told to um, to obey um, what I think are just basic hygiene and considerations um, and to not put them out of my heart as well. That's been the big one to not put the, I saw a clip today of a number of people at town um, board meetings, school board meetings who were just filled with, outrage and indignation and um, and vitriol over being told to wear masks. And, um, and it just gave me practice to just pause, breathe, and realize that everybody has their own reality. 
and I'm going to do what I can to mm, bring as much consciousness into this conversation, but not to put them out of my heart. This is from a this is from a, a poet who I've recently discovered. Uh, his name is Daniel Bayliss, B-A-Y-L-I-S. He says, as you move through this world, you will bump against people who have unfinished hurt. Unfinished hurt might look like shame, anger, silence, performative happiness. Despite best containment efforts, the holder of the hurt will eventually let it slip out. Don't shun those with unfinished hurt. Make space. Listen to their stories. Share whatever excess love you have to spare. But it is imperative to know that the conclusion is ultimately solo work that you yourself will never be able to finish someone else's hurt. <clears throat> There's a, a, a line I love by um, Longfellow. He says, um, as he say, um, if you could, if you could read the secret history of your enemies, you should find enough sorrow and hurt to disarm all hostility. If you could read the secret history of your enemies, you should find enough sorrow and hurt to disarm all hostility. <clears throat> and so it's really a practice in itself to not put someone out of your heart. This is a this is a practice that I've been trying to live up to for many years from um, Neem Karoli Baba, who is one of my main influences, Ram Dass's guru. He said, never put anyone out of your heart. That's a big order. It doesn't mean you like them. It doesn't mean you agree with them. But it means to not harden your heart with, with hatred, or as the Buddha said, hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred ceases by love. This is an ancient and eternal law. And so to, to see or to imagine what somebody's conditioning is that makes them who they are. Why are they like that? What would make somebody be like that? Just looking a little bit more deeply. Oh, causes and conditions. I remember reading, I've shared it here before, uh, a, a really powerful biography, autobiography by this guy, uh, Tony McAleer, um, who wrote, what was the name? The Cure for Hate was the name of his book. And he was a white supremacist who did lots of awful things, who then 
woke up or he st- he had a lot of um, abuse he was at the at the receiving end of abuse when he was younger and when his daughter was born it was the first time that his heart softened in years and years and he he almost didn't know what to do with this tenderness that was in his heart and so it kept on showing there was this spark of love that kept on growing and it was so dissonant with all the anger and the hate that it just he had to find out what this was and he did a lot of therapy and he did a a 10-day goenka retreat in the process at a a friend's suggestion and he writes about this process of waking up to the goodness that was inside of him that had been buried for so long and then he went on to um to speak to uh to be a a, a main advocate uh for helping people who've been lost in their hatred and in their anger and in their um violence uh to help them discover what he discovered that the the love was is in there all the time it just has been buried he talks about toxic shame covering over that goodness and there's a healing process that was very profound and uh and difficult but he had to do and he got in touch with his love is i highly recommend uh you checking out the book the cure for hate by tony mcaleer and in the buddhist tradition angulimala the serial killer who had killed supposedly 999 people until he met the buddha and the buddha breaking that spell because he was going for a thousand a thousand deaths uh as a as a um a task that was given to him by uh by some teacher who whose mind had been poisoned against him and the buddha broke the spell and angulimala woke up from his hatred and became a monk and eventually became fully enlightened so that's a story that is pointing to us never to give up on anyone meta for the difficult in this practice that's one of the 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 main um stretches for us how can we have meta for those who have either harmed us or or are causing harm or who are difficult for us and to wish them to discover their own goodness and to not close our heart to them but to see we all have bodhicitta we all have the seed of awakening in us and to look for the divine in everyone how could how could they not have that divinity they are an expression of life 
when I was a school teacher in New York City, I was a school teacher for about 10 years, fifth grade, sixth grade. And um, I set my task the beginning of each school uh, school year to see if I could find the key to each kid's heart. And some, it was so easy. I mean, they just kind of lit up a room and you almost had to wear shades to, to keep the light from dazzling you. And then there were kids who learned to get attention in not so skillful ways that would be disruptive, that would be um, a pain in the butt, actually, when I let it. But my little game was, I'm going to see if I can find the key to this kid's heart. And often it was in quiet moments. It was rarely in the whole classroom. It was in quiet moments where that child knew that I really cared and was looking and seeing something inside of him or her that uh, maybe he or she hadn't been so in touch with. And that's been, in my better moments, a game that I've had for the last, oh, 45 years or so, 50 years almost. And I just offer this to you as, um, as a practice for us when we get caught in othering someone, even someone who has ideas that make you scratch your head and say, how could they think that way? Forgive them, they know not what they do, or whether they have bad information or they have conditioning that makes them who they are. Just seeing who it is beyond that mask, either the literal mask or the figurative mask, and to look for the Buddha or the Christ within or the kingdom of heaven within or whatever metaphor you you look for it this is what we're called on to do these days so that we don't add more hatred and othering into the world at the same time as being clear and and strong in communicating your own take on things in a way that can perhaps um invite someone else to see it um, in another way, but not to put anyone out of your heart. This is my practice that I continually need to remind myself and, um, and offer to you. So I think I'll just stop here and uh, see if there's any comments, questions, reflections. Uh, maybe before we open it up, maybe I'll, I'll have us uh, do a little reflection so this is a bit more real to you. You might uh, close your eyes for a moment.
And um, maybe there's someone in your life who it's hard for you to open up to. And don't pick somebody where there's trauma, where it's a bit too much to take in, but just somebody who frustrates you or maybe people that you don't know personally, but you see on uh, on the news or on uh, on the screen. You're difficult person to practice with. Just bring them to mind. And as we practice in loving kindness practice, see if you can see them a bit more deeply. One way is to think of them as they were when they were children innocent children. And the conditioning that's shaped them and made them who they are. Or perhaps seeing them when they are with their loved ones, their dog or their cat or their child. And maybe there's some moments of goodness and sweetness that naturally comes out of them. Or maybe you get in touch with the pain that might be in that person's mind or heart, or the fear. Or the reality that they're carrying from the information that they get. And with reflections like this, see if you can tune into the good in that person that wants to be loved, that wants to feel safe, that wants to love back. And just wish them well. Not that they can go around and hurt other people. Wish them to get in touch with their own goodness or understand where real happiness lies. Non-harming, sharing kindness. And just wish that for them. May you find real happiness. May you connect with your own goodness. I honor your reality, even if I see things differently.
and I wish you well. Okay, so now let's take some time, see if anything comes up from that. Anything you want to share or reflect on. Hey, Norm, hi. You can unmute yourself. Uh, uh, can you, uh, unmute yourself, okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Two parts to this question. One is, do you believe that some people are truly evil? I don't use that word. I, um, you know, like that Solzhenitsyn quote. I, I think in terms of um, the Buddha's way of putting it, at least the way I see it, uh, just ignorance. There, there, there's an ignorance and a conditioning that has led people to do very um, evil acts, but that I don't think of them as evil. I think of them as, as twisted, hurt, confused, and uh and and lost so that's just my my way of seeing it and okay. you know i can certainly respect as i'm trying to communicate now others seeing it differently but that's how i see it ignorance not seeing clearly where our happiness or where well-being lies so then the second part is with people in that category and mm -hmm. especially people who have a lot of power and do a lot of damage yeah. um, and atrocities often. Yeah. Uh, does the, do, for you personally, do the um, strategies that you talked, that you've been talking about apply there too? Or are there some levels of harm that people do uh, that make it really, you know, not maybe, I don't know, they make it impossible or make it not worth even trying. Uh, well, I was with you all the way up to not worth trying. Okay. Uh, and, and for me, that's what it comes down to my practice. I mean, I have a whole pantheon of people who could easily fall into that category, who do fall into that category. Believe me. Uh, but that's my practice. My, my practice is not to give in to hatred, but rather to see mm, the confusion that goes into something, into a person like that. As an example, if I can, you know, I, 
there might there might be a a a, a Trump uh, a Trump person here, but I will just say to you, um, you know, he's not an easy one, of course. But when I read uh, his niece's biography of him, that I, that was a very important uh, book for me to read. Was it? Too much and never enough, something like that. I think it was called by Mary Trump. And when you read, oh, well, this is what you get when you're raised by a sociopath. You get somebody who is in that category, who doesn't know how to feel. And for me, that's um, that elicits compassion rather than hatred. This is a, a a very sick human being, in my opinion, and uh, and I I wouldn't want to be in his mind, that's for sure. Um, and I will do everything I can to prevent him from having power, but not with hatred. It's really, in my mind, he's pathetic. He's a pathetic person with a lot of power, and I'll do everything I can to prevent him from having an influence. But without hatred in my heart, it's actually easier for me to have that with him than some of the other uh, figures uh, of people in, in power. But they're all in that same category of practice. Okay, this is my practice. And I, I agree with just about everything you said, but for me, that's been the kind of the, the ceiling of, that I hit in my practice that I have not made any progress with. And uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, for lack of alternatives, I'll keep trying. <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, look at look at the choice. What, what's the choice to have more hatred in your heart? Um, it. You know, I understand. I mean, and I should also honestly say there are times you can ask my wife that uh, I am venting at the the screen. You know, and, but I'm I'm trying to do it as consciously as I can. You know, so it's kind of like you, you can't just be the equanimous, uh, you know, saint all the time. It's like. Damn it! And just kind of like releasing the the pressure cooker a bit and getting it out, and then there's forgive them; they know not what they do. Because I don't want to be, I don't want to be poisoned. You know that image of drinking poison and, and hoping the other person is going to get sick. That that's what happens when it it, it eats away at you. No, I'm going to do whatever I can with as much um, compassion for the confusion that that being is in. Even if they have children or grandchildren, to not see the world that they're leaving their grandchildren, who I'm sure that they love, that's just ignorance. So this is my practice, and uh, uh, good luck to us both. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Nathan, hi. Hi. Uh, thanks. Thank you, James, for your 
kind of your stories at the beginning, I really appreciate them because it just shows how deep the practice goes and how many, how we can even dedicate decades in our lifetime. There's still always more work to do. So I, you know, helps me feel, um, you know, that I'm not alone in my own struggles. Um, I wanted to kind of share a thought and just get your reaction or just a response is mm-hmm. uh, when we are encountering people who cause harm, their choices cause harm to those around us. Um, is it maybe my, my thinking is like, this is um, a practice of me letting go of my ability to control how others choose. And even if it does cause harm to me, it's that's in a way fuel for my own growth and insight. And Mm. maybe that's the opportunity. And maybe that's kind of what you were saying too, is um, the humbling aspect to, to seeing our, our, our judgments in our own face um, that is in itself exposing how much more work there is for us to do. So, um, and maybe the, the byproduct is maybe we are exposed to a little bit more risk, but I'm not sure if maybe that's just Duca. Um, your thoughts. Thank you, Jess. Uh, well, just how it lands for me. Um, there is understanding that somebody has a certain reality and there's also doing what you can to protect yourself, to have healthy boundaries, and to do what you can to make a difference. And this is where, you know, the the classic uh, serenity prayer comes in. Uh, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And if there's something that can be done with fierce compassion, but with compassion, it doesn't mean being namby-pamby, but it's also trying to um, access the skillful means that will make an effective difference. And so if I'm coming back and spewing hatred back, that's not going to convince somebody to say, oh, thank you for the feedback. Uh, and it, but if I have some kind of do some kind of action, either by if I'm if I'm skillful enough to listen and really have somebody be understood, feel understood. Oh, tell me why you tell me what your thinking is. Uh, a lot of times, feeling understood and heard just uh, tones down the intensity. And to respect, this is what I had to do with my, my friends, to respect, okay, this is somebody who I really do respect, who thinks differently than I do. This is, it stretches me. And I saw the first person, and when I, I let them know how upset I was, that wasn't helping. And with the other two, I've learned, okay, is there a way that I can respect and still be true to the way I see things, realizing that's that's my perspective and they have their own. But it's important to have healthy boundaries and to really take care of yourself. 
and to take care of others as well. That that's that's the unique thing about this situation where what somebody does affects everybody. Um and that's where the real koan is, how to keep your heart open and do what you can um even when there's some misinformation going around, I think, in my opinion, that would lead somebody to act unskillfully. Good luck to us all. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Nathan. Okay. It's almost time. Any any last comments or questions or reflections? Going once, going twice. I'll just say, James, um, there's someone I'm thinking of who's really difficult in my family, and I don't, I'm not motivated to even try this, honestly. Yeah, well, that, that that's, you have to be right where you are, too. That's the other side. You, you can't, you can't pretend that you can, you can open your heart when you're not able to. However, I would I would in, say this as an as a an intermediate step. Do you see that um, how how holding on to that uh, that bitterness is is not doesn't serve you? Yes, but it's um, it's someone in my family who's a bully and who's emotionally abusive to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, nothing's going to change unless he changes and it's not going to change from me. Yeah. Well, in, in, in that, in that, uh, situation, you want to protect yourself. You know, uh, Jack Cornfield has, has a good way of putting it. He says, if you are, are trying to send meta to a difficult person and you really want to go for it, Imagine they're in another room and you're separated by about five feet of concrete. So there's safety because you want, you need to feel safe in order to wish someone well. And you have to be right where you are. The intermediate step for me is I'm not there right now. Maybe I'll never get there. I'm certainly not going to change them. Mm -hmm. but I don't want to carry around the hatred in my heart. And I wish, I wish I could soften my heart. I'm not there, but I wish I could. Tune into the wish, because that's at least a wholesome vision or intention. And just... Don't feel frustrated that you're not there. Just tune into, well, maybe next lifetime I'll be able to open up my, my heart to them. I'm not there. I have to really take care of myself. And I hope that I can not wish them ill, not wish bad on them. Uh, but uh, just tune into that wish so you're not at least uh, poisoning yourself with that reaction and you take care of yourself that that's the number one thing you have to feel safe enough to wish someone else 
well. So you're just right where you are. Okay, good luck with it. Okay, so it's uh, now it's nine. So let's just dedicate. Uh, I hope this is helpful for you. Um, and I hope that you join me in a practice of not getting caught up in in hatred or in your own mental formations that can so easily get formed and, and, and triggered. Hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred ceases by love. This is an ancient and eternal law. You have no moral authority over those who can feel your underlying contempt. May we all learn more and more to open with compassion to those who are lost in harming others or to those who have different realities and perspectives. May we not or learn not to put others out of our heart. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, rippling out to everyone in our life and continuing to spread out to be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all get in touch with their goodness and share their love well. May our being here together be for the benefit all of all and this planet that we share. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.